And welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. We are the retro talk program where we talk about anything having to do with nostalgia, radio, television, movies, all kinds of baby boomer topics. If you plugged it in, turned it on, listened to it, or watched it, we talk about it right here. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm George. And I'm the effervescent Mike Zuccaro. And today's show, we're going to talk about furniture that talks to you. And we're going to talk about first jobs. Well, welcome, everybody, to another edition of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We're so happy to have you with us. You know, one topic that seems to keep coming back, I guess because we all have interest in it, is early radio, early TV, and uh, uh, how that impacted home life. And we thought we would take a little bit of a different angle on it this time. You know, back in the day when the family would get a new radio back in the 30s, 40s, or a new TV set back in the 50s, the 60s, even into the 70s, it often came in a beautiful cabinet, uh, something that was uh, worthy of being shown off, that you want to have your family and friends over to show off your new radio or new TV. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Mike uh, Mike B., you and I were kind of ticking this around a little bit before we began planning these shows. Why don't you lead us in that family stereo hi-fi and TV console as a major furniture piece in the mid-20th century. Well, thanks, Smitty, and I was... Remembering our interview with Art Astor, the uh, radio industry yes. legend, when you and I had gone up to Anaheim to the uh, Art Astor Museum a year back or so, and the discussion was to the new communication medium called the radio in the 1920s. In order to market it to a household, and particularly the lady of the house, the radio companies had to make it into something more attractive than just this bunch of wires and tubes that you plugged in and took up space and made sound. And so what they did, they turned it into a piece of furniture. And at that point, it sold like hotcakes because the marketing angle at that point was not only can you hear the voices of the world and hear the news and the programs that are important, but you can show the, the level of taste and a good quality breeding you have by the type of furniture, in this case your radio, that you have in your home. Well, we go from 1920 to 1950, and guess what happens? It returns in the mid-20th century to what we call the hi-fi consoles, the TV console. Those were the originators of the component system. They were component systems. However, they were housed in one big piece of walnut or mahogany or dark maple, very pricey. In some cases, they weren't pricey at all, but that's where you held all of the electronics in your family's home. That's where the electronics lived, and if you wanted to enjoy them, there was no wireless. There were no remote speakers. You had to get to the hi-fi, turn it on, sit back, and tell everybody else to hush up. I think some of them didn't even have headphone jacks. No. Typically, you had companies Magnavox, you had Packard Bell, uh, in some cases, you could combine the TV set along with the turntable and an FM AM receiver. Along came the 8-track and the 4-track players, so they had the little slots for those. But the common thread was that this is where the household, the family household entertainment lived. And, of course, there were tabletop radios and there were alarm clocks. And we talked quite a bit on this show about transistor radios but this was the piece of furniture that defined where you were in the socioeconomic status of the American pop culture, the American 
consumer culture, and it was actually a status symbol in a lot of homes and in a lot of neighborhoods. Do you have a couple of console TVs in your collection, Smitty? I do, Mike, and the ones that particularly that uh, maybe some of our listeners will, will remember, the ones that had doors, you could close the doors and you had this beautiful piece of, of furniture, this beautiful wood cabinet, and the doors would conceal the fact that it was a television or a radio or a stereo or whatnot. But, you know, going back to the 30s in particular, when radio manufacturers began to really be prolific about the manufacture of, of sets, and they wanted to make them attractive, as you said, it was not much of an attraction to have a, a board on top of a table with tubes and wires sticking out of it. You wanted to have something that would also appeal to the housewife or to the discriminating individual who wanted to have nice furniture, they began to enclose them in these beautiful cabinets that were made of wood, and they had beautiful veneer, beautiful finishes on them. Uh, oftentimes, again, the radios themselves, too, would have doors on them. They would conceal the controls, so when you weren't using it, you could close the doors, and you had this beautiful wooden piece of furniture there that was very attractive to look at. Nobody needed to know that it was a radio or a TV or whatever it was. Well, in, in some cases, in L.A., there was a furniture store very well known called McMahon's Furniture Store, and in some cases, the actual furniture, the wood, the design was as expensive as the components that were housed inside. Absolutely. Uh, it, some were hand-carved, some were ornate, some were actually imported from Italy, and they were hand-carved by Italian craftsmen. Well, you know what? And I remember this was called the Home Entertainment Center. And it was often five feet, sometimes six feet long, and occasionally bigger than that. You had very often a color TV in the middle, uh, and then you had an AM, FM receiver and a turntable. Uh, usually with a door that opened on the right side, a lid on the right side for the turntable, and sometimes a lid on the left side if there was a tape recorder and the TV in the middle, and sometimes called credenzas. And the nice thing about these things was that people held on to these things. Yes. They never got, it was, I can't tell you, even today, you know, people will say, oh, it's a beautiful piece of furniture and I hate to get rid of it, even though the picture, the television is dead and now useless. In my family, the old timers used to save the old TV cabinets to make liquor cabinets. Mm. That was a big thing. We're going to put our liquor in there and I could think of an aunt of mine who had a Magnavox TV, gutted it, and still had liquor in there from her wedding 50 years ago. <laughs> but you just didn't get, these were, these were really, it was a status symbol and it was expensive and it was something that you just held on it was not a disposable item. Right. I recall in our family that my father was able to make what at that time was an incredible purchase. There was a couple that was getting a divorce, and they were selling at basically a fire sale price at the time a Grundig stereo. And that included, it was the size that you just described, Mike Zucchero. It was about five or six feet uh, in length, it had a reel-to-reel recorder. Oh, that was a top it of had line. it had uh, uh, the ability to play records, both 45 and long playing records. And not only did it have AM and FM radio, but because it was a Grundig, it had multiple shortwave bands. Yep. And I should say two other interesting features: it had lots of cabinet space for your LP records, plus it had count them eight speakers. Mm-hmm. So I was the envy of all of my friends in my neighborhood because when we would have parties you could put on a stack of records you'd close the door and you wouldn't even know where the music was coming from because the speakers were so state of the art at the time that the sound just carried everywhere and the other thing that was so interesting about it was because it had short wave capability we were able to listen to programs from all over the world 
in foreign languages. And this was regarded, of course, in our pre-internet age as really being so far advanced. I mean, a lot of my friends would say, let's go to George's house because we can listen to what's going on in Australia or hear what's going on in Europe. And so it was really a way to telescope itself you know, into uh, far reaches uh, of the world, the places that you hope to travel but might not get there. You Absolutely. know what's interesting is that shortwave was absolutely common on the console radios of the 30s and yeah, they 40s. Were. And then once these uh, combination radio TV units started coming in, virtually never did they have shortwave except for the Germans. Companies like Grundig, Blaupunk, Metz, and so on always had multiple shortwave bands and an AM and an FM band. So that was a pretty neat thing that you had there. Well, and the thing that was interesting, I was not aware of it at the time, but the, you know, the Grundig had at that time and still does, you know, a cachet name. Uh, incredible. And so it was very, very prestigious to have a Grundig mm. uh, equipment in your house. Yeah, very highly polished cabinets. Yes. Still yes. collectible. The, the one that very. you had today, the big console, yes. is the top of the line. Mm. Interestingly enough, I have never seen a television in one of those. Never. No. In fact, mm. I was going to tell you that that, because that was the one thing that people always wanted. They said, why don't you have a television in there? And I said, because there was not one in there. Mm. No, Grundig made TVs, but yes. as far as I know, they never imported them. You made a good point, Mike Z, that these were very popular and they were not disposable. Oh, it was right. not like your DVD player that throws a belt and you throw it and run down to Target and for 70, 80 bucks you're back in business. No, those would stay once they were purchased because they were a very expensive purchase. They And they, it was a piece of furniture and it in some cases it even had some sentimental value. That's where you right. kept the records. And But the interesting, the interesting point is they are very scarce today. If you will go into a thrift store or a Goodwill, you will very seldom find one because they were one of those items that we've talked about a lot on this show, Smitty. When they went out and you were done paying to repair them or you're, you're black and white, you heard about this thing called color TV. TV guy brought the new color set in. Part of the deal was take the they went to the junkyard. So they many. They were piece to pieces. They were right. torn apart for firewood. And what a heartbreaker because that makes them all the more valuable. You go over to the west side over in L.A., over on Santa Monica Boulevard, Melrose, George, and these babies, they don't have anything in them but the wood themselves. They're very yeah. pricey. 1700 bucks. They're yeah. very pricey. I was wondering also about the collectability aspect of the fact that you have these huge reel-to-reel recorders. <clears throat> Because on mine, it had, I think, double tracking. So that I remember when, for example, my late godbrother, your friend, uh, Gilbert Christie Limbesses, would make tapes for me that he would have uh, on, on a single tape reel multiple radio programs. And it was somehow that if you played it on one track, you had four programs. Played it on the second track, you had a second set of four programs. And he was able to fit a lot on one single tape right. reel. Yeah. That was yeah. neat that you had that. Yeah. that was a and also, music. I still have the tape... Uh, that he did of the uh, Game 5 when the Los Angeles Lakers Mm. won their first NBA championship. So I have a lot of special things that are on tape, but regrettably, I no longer have uh, a reel-to-reel recorder. So does that make them more collectible, the fact that it has that reel-to-reel recording? To a certain degree, maybe, but the problem with those reel-to-reel machines, especially the Grundings, is that they were made in such a way that uh, a lot of rubber parts have gone bad, and you just can't get them. It's very tough to repair Mm -hmm. them. You have to have the parts rebuilt and so on, but there are plenty of other reel-to-reel machines around that you could play that stuff on. But if you had the one that was in the cabinet with the reel-to-reel machine that was five, six feet long, you had the the top-of-the-line Grundig. Well, I said, my father, as I said, he found it basically at a fire sale price. Mm -hmm. I mean, this couple, I wouldn't say they were giving it away, 
But this is back in 1967-68, and at that time, I think he might have paid $300 for it then. So back, by the way, back in 1967-68, you also could have bought a great item if you had a lot of money. They were like, I think, 1000 or 1200 bucks, called the Seaberg LP Home Stereo Console. I had a few of them. I now have a smaller version. It was six feet long, and there was no TV in there. And there was just an AM-FM radio and a mechanism that played 50 LPs vertically, selectively. It had a telephone dial, or it had a keyboard pad on later versions, and the earlier versions really sounded great, but it was strictly a rich man's toy because for what you paid for one of those, you could have gotten a smaller console with a color TV and still had a few hundred bucks in your pocket. But there was a time when this type of thing was really, really in vogue. Very recently, very recently, they become, as they call, mid-century collectibles Mm -hmm. now. I could see how up in L.A., you know, ritzy areas and guys who have the money to spend say, wow, I've got a Packard Bell 1965 console takes up a lot of space, weighs yeah. a ton, but they do look cool, and they sound pretty good, too. And, and it really means something. to. And, you know, I might mention to the listeners, we're talking about a genre of time around the 50s and 60s because when my wife and I married in 1976, a couple of years later, we decided that we were going to get a, a hi-fi, uh, the component, the system we're talking about. So we went to Montgomery Ward, and their brand name was Airline. Airline or Airline? Ward's Airline, that's it. So, folks, we're talking about the true pieces of furniture, not the pictures of wood that would be glued over layers of of plywood and called imitation walnut finish. We're talking about a real wood, hand-assembled piece of furniture that two guys would spend a day hammering dowels into and we're not talking about the cheap components that were put in these and sold at Sears and Roebuck or Kmart or Montgomery Ward. We're talking about, as Mike Z mentioned, these brand names. Sherwood was a very high-end. Sherwood, you would only find Sherwood in very high-end consoles. Yep, and Fisher had a full Fisher. line of consoles. They, pu- they pushed their consoles yes. well into this. Here's how it worked. You would go to a, a high-end furniture store. Typically in Los Angeles, it would be downtown, uh, McMahon, one of those, and you would see the piece of furniture that you wanted. The salesman would then give you a list. Now, what type of, what would you like inside and of it? They would install the components yes, custom to your They would have it installed. And I, I saw one of those checklists one time, and I should have grabbed it. It was on eBay, but it was a, it was an up-order checklist for what do you want inside your console? Yep, right. Do you want the TV? Uh, which component system? And Macintosh was there. And for, yes. imagine, Macintosh was $800, and I think right behind it came Sherwood at 600 So All those companies made components, and that was the yeah. style at the time. And by the way, if not, if you, you also could have gone to Allied, Radio Shack, or Lafayette, yes. and there was a line called Barzolet, a company called Barzolet, that made very, very nice cabinets. Some, sometimes they made individual speaker cabinet, sometimes they made the big console, and then you could order your own components and install them in there if you wanted to. That was another way to go. If you didn't, just, just didn't want to get the you know already assembled one from Packard Bell or Philco right, or Zenith exactly, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But, oh, very, those days are gone. Very well, valuable, very collectible, and remember, there's two types or three types of collectors going after these, so the competition is very keen if you find one. Keep in mind you have a collector of components who would be interested in that piece. You have a collector of mid-century, as they call it, furniture styles, contemporary mid-50s styles, and then you would have a collector of what's it called, kitsch, or the uh, the yep. general, they don't want it touched, they want it exactly like it was because right. they're going to use it for a movie set or a decoration. So if you find one and you're uh, 
your great aunt's you know, sewing room. Check it out because chances are, and again, like we're saying, uh, buy, buyer, seller, everyone else beware because you could have one of those great little uh, Montgomery Ward specials like we had with the 8-track that no one would ever want to work on. They threw belts after about eight months, and you could never get them to work. And they were push buttons, and you could never dial in FM stations. And if you're lucky, you'll still find one with a, with about ten bottles of Johnny Walker Black from 1958 in there that some old lady never drank, you know. But <laughs> All right. What a wonderful remembrance, guys. Well, we're going to now go to the retro commercial, and since we're on the subject of electronics, there's an iconic name. In fact, it's noted for this saying, the quality goes in before the name goes on. Take it away, Zenith. Now, the most exciting colors in color TV. Captured by Zenith in the biggest color picture Zenith has ever made. This is Zenith's new handcrafted 25-inch rectangular color TV. Its new sunshine color tube, shaped like a movie screen, has a new rare earth phosphor for greater picture brightness with redder reds, brighter greens, and more brilliant blues. A giant 25-inch picture, yet the tube is four inches shorter, fits a new beautifully slim cabinet. Inside, the famous Zenith handcrafted color chassis, with no printed circuits, no production shortcuts. Built better for greater dependability and fewer service problems. It's the ultimate in color TV. Available with Zenith Space Command remote control tuning in the elegance of ultra-slim fine furniture cabinetry. No wonder Zenith is America's largest selling TV. And Zenith, the quality goes in before the name goes on. If I'm not mistaken, the announcer of that was Dick Tufeld, who was a well-known radio and television announcer back in the, the earlier days. He's no longer with us, but we certainly remember him and remember his Zenith as well. Welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. You know, we get uh, suggestions for topics from our listeners, and we had a suggestion that came in a while back from our good friend Dale Harris, who has uh, written in to uh, us on Facebook on numerous occasions, and he said, why don't you talk a little bit about your first jobs? You know, when your kids are the first real job, or whatever. we thought we'd just spend a few minutes, uh, the remainder of this show, talking about that. I'll lead off on it. You know, I think maybe all of us, most of us, had the experience of maybe helping mom, dad in the yard, not necessarily doing chores, but doing, uh, you know, maybe helping pull, pull up weeds or gathering firewood or, you know, raking up leaves or whatever and get paid for it and, uh, you know, save up for a little something special or you want to get a special toy or some candy or go use it for the movies or whatever. But I thought we would uh, talk a little bit about uh, sort of our first jobs. Now, I'll tell you what, my first, that I consider my first real job, I had a very nice lady who lived across the alley from us, Mrs. Price. Mrs. Price was a widow lady, and she uh, had a couple of rentals on her property, and she she used to hire me to come over and do little odd jobs, and uh, it was fun to go over there. And what was really great was after you got paid, after I got paid, walking home, and I had a $10 bill in my pocket or a $20 bill, how great it felt to have gone out and worked and earn this money. Now I've got this money in my pocket, and I can either spend it or I can save it or I can do whatever. What a great feeling that was. How about you guys? Uh, first jobs, uh, you know, like that, maybe working for a neighbor, for a friend, uh, guys? I'll, if, uh, I'll jump in. You guys want to jump in? I'll tell you what. The very, very first time I earned money was dog-sitting for my neighbor, Artie Schloss, and his wife, Ellen, dog-sitting their little... Uh, 
poodle, which was Sherry. That was nice because not only would Artie pay me, but he would sometimes, since he was an engineer himself, let me borrow his Heathkit shortwave radio. Ah, that was cool. Go, yes. Then I wired up a neighbor's house for headphones. He wanted to use his headphones, so I had to go up in the attic. I was a kid, and I had to run the wires down the walls. What an awful job. Yes. Any idea of being an electrician, that was the end of that. But my first real job was working for a company called BSR when I was in high school. They made turntables and equalizers and eight tracks, and I worked for them as a technician after school. And I remember I made two twenty-five an hour, and I got a big raise to two thirty-five an hour. Wow. And that was my first real job job. That lasted for a while. Wow. George? I remember that my first real job was uh, servicing the neighbors uh, around our road that we were growing up. And what I used to do is I would do a combination of looking after a person's house and taking care of their pet animals while they were away. But I did something, my business mind was active even then, to distinguish myself from other kids my age. What I would do, this was my service offerings, I would water your yard, I would also water your flowers, I would pick up your newspapers, and I would also pick up your mail, and I would organize your mail by different categories, personal, business, Whoa. junk mail. Wow. I would have the newspapers all opened in, in sequence. And then in addition to that, to make sure that the water pressure was fine for people that were gone for an extended period of time, I would flush the, all every toilet in the house. And I would also put lights on, put the radios on, and I would also babysit their pets and spend time with them wow. so that when they got back, their pets had no levels of anxiety and everything was just fine and I fed them and so what was really nice about that was was the level of trust that I engendered because I was given keys to the house and it was it was an enormous responsibility later of course interesting because of what I do now as a university instructor that uh, I uh, was able to uh, make a lot of money doing tutoring and uh, this continued not only in high school, but then also in college and in graduate school. And I also uh, was able to uh, get uh, jobs, uh, you know, grading papers uh, because of my uh, high academic ratings. So I was able to uh, earn a lot of money, and it really complemented all the things that I do today. As I said, university instruction and also ministry. So lots of fun, good memories, and I'm really grateful for those opportunities. Well, fellas, let me share with you. Now, see, I didn't really have a job, per se, before the age of 12. My CPA and my corporate accounting team at the time said that it would be very bad for me under the, the type of business structure. No, I'm just kidding. At 12 was when I really did get my first real job. My dad owned a mattress company. And the process, my job, was when the new mattresses went out, the customer's old mattresses would come into the shop. And they had a factory there that would renovate cotton. It would take cotton through a process and make it fluffy and fresh again and be used for rebuilt mattresses. Well, I was the guy who cut down those mattresses that came in. And let me tell you, fellas, oh, what a job that must have this been. was outdoors without a cover. <clears throat> this was in Los Angeles on smoggy days. And that was the best part of my job. The worst part is... Uh, Mattresses come in in all kinds of conditions when they've been used. Uh, and to cut down a mattress... I know where we're going with this. Uh, yeah. So here we are, 103 degrees in Los Angeles, smuggy day, and here comes a flatbed pickup truck, rather, full of mattresses that came in off the day's deliveries. And they would go onto this table, and I was issued a long, almost like a bayonet, I, I guess it was a bayonet. It was a K-bar knife sharpened to where it could split hair. 
And first we would take take the uh, cover off the mattress and then peel the cotton back, take the spring out, roll the cotton up, put it on top of our heads or over our shoulder and haul it over to the renovator. Now, all kinds of interesting things go with tearing down a mattress. I would say that, and I won't talk about the worst thing ever happened. The best thing ever happened, I found $200 rolled up into the mattress. Wow. I knew there was a yes. good find in there. Yes. Some yes. jewelry, watches, There's rings. 200 that bucks. Yes. Of course, immediately reported to my dad, who went back and told the customer. Uh, and the customer, it was actually a hotel over in Hollywood. And they couldn't identify it. And, and my dad held it for 30 days. And... And he put it in a bank account for me. But wow. I will tell you, uh, there are sometimes we go to the grim side, the dark side of, of nostalgia and baby boomer memories. These beds would come in. People had deceased on the beds. Uh, people had shared the bed with their kitty cats Ugh. and their sick puppy dogs. Ugh. And it didn't matter when because I, I got paid by the mattress. So when a mattress came in, 50 cents was 50 cents. But that was probably... One of the most interesting positions I've had in my life, because if you want to understand the duality of the human condition, cut down used mattresses for a summer in Los Angeles, because some people, the mattresses look new, some don't. But talk about a summer job, and you never forget the first summer job, I don't think. And you never forget the first real job, because Smitty, you nailed it. There was nothing like on a Friday afternoon, and my dad... Uh, those, those were the days in the 60s where peop- the help was paid in cash or you were handwritten a check and the owner would cash it. But to get $18, $19 and I'm 12 years old and, and that was all the money in the world. You're right? set for the yes. whole you, summer. You are set. Money. Yes. And, and multiply that by the three months that we were out of school in L.A. Unified. And it was such a proud feeling to have that money and know I earned it. That's mine. And, it, and because I earned it, doing what I did, and it was my money, believe me, as you guys will know, it was very difficult to spend that money. Yeah. Did you get the money lecture from your dad? Oh, did I get the money well, lecture? Now what are you going to do, son, with this money? I don't know if the lecture was bad or my mom standing there Friday night with the little Bank of America bank book I in her hand. Not. And how much are we going to be putting into the bank Monday morning? That was almost, that was almost like... Uh, having a, a rib cut out of your rib cage. <laughs> did, did mom give you an, okay, here, you can keep a dollar, you yeah. know, keep a dollar or two, and the rest goes for your college fund. Well, my, like well my mom was pretty slick. She had envelopes. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're going to need socks next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, your Levi's are getting a little worn. That's that envelope. This is for the savings. And let's see, you wanted to go to the movies tomorrow. Okay. Were you going to have candy with that oh, visit to the matinee? And that's where I learned how to budget. That's I, pretty cool. Thank God for I both have, of them. I have to say that I got so good with money that I used to keep a lot of uh, spare cash in this little secret box that I had. Well, it wasn't so secret because my mother knew about it. But what was so interesting is that uh, there was on occasion when my mom needed some spare cash, didn't have any on her, uh, and so she would go into my box, but she was uh, very careful to always leave a little note saying, I owe you. And I owe you. <laughs> because she knew that I would always count the money, yeah. and I would know what was there. Well, wait a minute, George. Um, you didn't, you wouldn't hide money in 
a mattress, would you? Not in a mattress. Were no you, way. Were you, were you short a couple hundred bucks the summer of '66? Nope, nope, nope. I always oh, kept, I always kept it in that in a nice little box locked in the desk. Or did you? Have, what were they called? The Chinese puzzle boxes oh, you get in Chinatown. <laughs> George, how many of those did you have? Those, gosh, that brings back. <laughs> oh, memories. those were great. Well, I suppose that's going to wrap us up. What do you think, guys? That was a good show. This a lot was, of great. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. As you, the listeners, know, that this is one of our 30-minute sessions. But, again, just as much as we appreciate you listening to the hour-longs, the 30s are great, too. We do encourage your feedback to us by email. As you know, this is Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight here at Galaxy Nostalgia Network, and we're traceable over on Facebook. At, please come and like us at our Facebook page. We also have our blog which we will promise to update more than we have been. We're available there at galaxymoonbeamnightsite.com, but the emails are the most important. We can be reached at galaxymoonbeamnightsite at gmail.com. Remember, galaxymoonbeamnightsite, that's S-I-T-E, at gmail.com. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. I'm George. I'm Mike, and I'm going to go put a nice record on the credenza. Ooh. And I'm going to take a nap on my clean mattress. Are these your little discs for the 45 that keep... Falling out of your socks? Yes, that's what they are. I'm going to put them on the credenza and play some nice music. Good night. Oh, the shark, shark. babe. Good night, everyone. As such teeth, dear. So it shows the pearly <laughs> This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.